who are called. So if, if you struggle to any degree with the whole idea of, of calling or what, what was in many ways used, people's jobs used to be called their vocation because Christians contributed to society this sense that we're made by God for something and that our, our work is supposed to be part of a calling or a vocation. Now, along the way, people began to lose the sense of that, or they took the idea of vocation and they placed it into a select few people or clergy or have some other you, you know, really special uh, purpose in life. But the truth is, God wants every single person to have this sense of calling and vocation. For those two things to be branded uh, uh, on our hearts and that we live with that as a way of life. And, they, and, and we're not just sort of drifting through life wherever life takes us uh, without any purpose or aim. So let's, let's look first. At, uh, there's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, there are uh, paperback Bibles under the chairs in front of you. And uh, 1 Samuel 3 was going to be page 189. And this story is about God speaking to a young man, young boy, probably around uh, 10, preteen, 10, 12 years old. His name's Samuel. And he grew up into a very famous person. But you're going to see right off the bat in this story, God speaks to him. And I want you to see some of this whole issue of calling that's here. And Samuel is this young boy who hears this voice, capital V, okay? And it's not familiar to him. This is the first time the voice, capital V, spoke to him. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And they had a a little tabernacle. Eli was the high priest, and and, uh, this this young man, Samuel, had been apprenticed to Eli. It's a long story behind that. So, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. In other words, God just wasn't speaking as frequently as he had been. And there's, again, there's a whole backdrop to why that was happening. And so here's this young boy in this context where people don't have much of a sense of direction or purpose. And One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, in other words, he was losing his eyesight, he was lying down in his usual place, wherever he he slept. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. There was a lamp in the temple that they kept lit, and uh, that was near the ark. And so it says, then the Lord called Samuel. Now remember, people aren't hearing God speak much, and God doesn't go to all the great and important people. He calls this young boy. And Samuel answered and says, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. You know, kid, don't wake me up in the middle of the night. I'm old and cranky. So he went and lie down. And again, the Lord said, and as you can see in your translation, he said, Samuel. First time it was Samuel. Now it's Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So he he didn't have any personal relationship with God yet. 
The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. Eli's sleepy. He goes, Okay, I'm, a, I'm sleeping, but I know what's going on. Go and lie down, and if he calls you again, say, and this is an important phrase, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lie down in this place. He's just fallen asleep again. The Lord speaks to him again. And again, picture, God speaks to us in unusual times and places. And it's, you know, why he does it that way, he's, that's, there's always a purpose. We don't always see it. But why speak in the middle of the night? Quiet, undistracted, lots of reasons. But he wakes him up. Samuel, Samuel. It's like God's, you ever do that with your kids? They're not listening to you? Uh, you know how it is when, you're, when your parents want to get your attention, the middle name comes in, right? Or, or some other name, <laughs> unfortunately, it won't be uttered publicly here. Then Eli realized, oh, sorry, sorry, the Lord came, stood there. So it says the Lord came to Samuel and stood there, gets him up. He says, speak, Lord. He says, Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. Now I want to stop there. He, this, be, this was the first time that God spoke to Samuel, and Samuel's whole purpose in life got opened up in this moment and because he became a, 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 the leader of Israel uh, over time. And his whole purpose and destiny came as God spoke to him and and made himself real to him. And then he, he began to show him what his life was supposed to be about. And his life, in particular, was meant to be, he was called to be a prophet. And he was also called to be a judge, which at that point was sort of like a, the executive over Israel, the governmental executive. Not quite like a king. And so this, you see this little pattern. He, he hears God speaking to him, and God calls him to do something. The next person I want to look at is in the New Testament. There's a young teenage girl named Mary, who all of us have heard of. We just went through the season, Christmas season, and many of us have heard this passage. And in Luke chapter 1, uh, which again, if you want to track with me here, is page 710. And it says uh, in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the word virgin can mean a young teenage girl who's not married, who's not sexually active. It actually has that connotation to it. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now here, again, now here's another young woman. Here's a, you, you, you could go through Scripture and you could see God speaking to children, to people who are elderly at the end of their life and everything in between. And, and God always comes with the same sort of message. You've got something important to do. And it doesn't matter what where they were coming from, who they were, men, women. God spoke to them, and he would... He, he had, there was this simple yet similar pattern is that he gave them a sense of calling and vocation. Now, he didn't do anything with Mary's life outside of... Let me, let me, let me back up a second. 
Let me, let me finish reading this. Okay, Mary was greatly troubled at his words because the angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, she's a teenager, right? She's a very poor young woman in a, a small town in Israel, which I've often reminded you was uh, an occupied country. The Roman army had conquered it and occupied it. And uh, Roman rule was administered in Israel, and they were taxed, and they, they, you know, they, they had all kinds of limitations. And so, but God chose this young woman, and, and she's troubled at his words, and she's wondering what this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, power of the Most High, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Here's the, here's the key phrase again. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as you've said. Then the angel left her. And she had some experience with God. And she conceived Jesus. And her, part of her destiny was as a mother. To, to nurture Jesus as a little boy. And then as a young man to be his mother. And she played an incredible role in his life. And for the most part, she didn't do anything, other, anything else famous other than that. It could be argued that's a pretty famous little moment. So here's this young woman who, for all intents and purposes, is marked out for obscurity. But none of us are obscure. Nobody is obscure. I, I was saying to somebody this week, uh, I just looked at him, because they, I, I don't remember the context, but... I just looked at him and I said, you know, you are made in the image of God. You know, nothing that you do is ordinary. And because it just struck me, they were describing something that was going on in their life and feeling a little, you know, uh, insignificant. And I think, you know, the the more you understand who you are in Christ, the more you begin to see the world the way he does, you can't, like C.S. Lewis says, you can't look at people around you the way you did before. Because at one point, uh, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, we're going to see people on the street that if we saw people transformed into the image that God created them to be when we're you know, standing in the new heavens and the new earth, if we saw them now in the, the glorified version of who they are because of Jesus... We would be tempted now to fall down and worship them because the image of God would be more manifest and clear and real than it is to us now. Because we look at each other, we just, just, we just see human beings. A lot of times we don't even see a name with that. And then certainly we don't always see the, the unique image of God in each person and the way it's expressed. And sometimes we can look at children and see it, but somewhere along the way, it just gets glossed over, and it takes new eyes to see that in one another. And so Mary, 
is just feeling like this ordinary little girl, but she has this incredible destiny, like all of us do. But we're just seeing little stories here. Seriously, you could just go through the book and see person after person after person. Well, why don't we look at one more here? Just to, you're there in Luke, stay there and go a couple of chapters to Luke 5. Luke 5, 1, it says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So Jesus is staying on the seashore and he's, it's a little natural amphitheater. He's by the Sea of Galilee and the, you know, the, the, there's, uh, the terrain slopes upward and, and so people are gathered all around him. But as, as often happened, people would press up and he didn't have any room. You know, he's moving back further and further as people come up. And finally, he's at the edge of the water and he decides to get in one of the boats. And he asks the fisherman, could you just push out just a little bit so the people can come up close and, and listen? And so he begins to use that as, you know, his little stage. And it says, when he finished, uh, he sat down and taught from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter... Let's put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, you know, it, it's, people have argued over the years, what sort of tone did Peter have when he said, but because you say so, I let down the nets? Like, we're fishermen, and we worked all night, we haven't caught anything, but, you know, he could have he been respectfully saying, you're, you know, you're a prophet, you're someone unique, and if you say to do it, we're going to do it, because probably something wild is going to happen. My surmise is, he probably said, okay, because you say to do it, Mr. Big Shot Rabbi, who must know lots about fishing, we're going to go do it. Come on, guys, the rabbi wants us to go out in the boat and work a little more and not get anything, you know. They're all rolling their eyes, probably. That's how I take it, because that's how I would you know, be if Jesus said that to me. Uh, that, that's not flattering, but that's just honest. Maybe you're there too. Master, we worked hard all night. They get in the boat, you know, rowing, you know, sailing, whatever they do. They take the water, they throw their nets out, and they start pulling the nets in, and they have so many fish in the nets, the boat starts sinking. And they call their friends, come here, come here, help us, you know. There's a... I mean, you know, that's like the old story. The guy catches the, the fish he, he's been trying to catch his whole life, and the fish is dragging the boat around the lake, right? It's so big, and he can't get it in the boat. Well, they couldn't do that. And so when Simon, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. After a night of working hard, when you're supposed to fish and not be able to catch anything, then, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, and they left this whole catch of fish, and they followed Jesus. And here again, there's this little pattern is, when God draws near to us and he speaks to us, there's this sense of, I'm, I'm going to give your life a purpose that you didn't recognize before, that maybe you never would have figured out. 
that when, that when this voice calls us, and sometimes the voice calls through a preacher, sometimes the voice calls as you just read the Bible, sometimes the voice calls through a song, sometimes the voice calls because you just hear it. I remember I didn't listen to the voice until I was in college. But I can remember when my parents, because my parents are kind of holiday church-going people, you know, holidays like uh, Easter and Christmas, maybe. And I, but I remember when I was seven or eight years old, and they were taking us to church on Easter and Christmas, there was something about it that drew me. And my parents, you know, they both worked really hard, and they wanted me to have some kind of a moral structure to my life and faith in God. I, they didn't really believe in God to, from, from what I saw. But they wanted me to get it. And they didn't want to go to church. But I remember getting up when I was a kid and putting on my little, you know that little tie that, that you don't tie? It's just got the little clip tie. My little white shirt, put it on. I remember getting, getting the family Bible. <laughs> yeah, the family Bible. And just walking to church. To go to church. Because something, the voice, I heard that voice. It drew me. I didn't have any sense of anything more than that. And, and after a while, my parents just didn't want to go. And, you know, ah. I, I heard other voices at that point, <laughs> all right, <laughs> that, that, that seemed louder and clearer and, and, and uh, more enjoyable. And so these people heard something. There, there was this sense of I'm called to something. There's the, there, and with that voice came some sense of a purpose. And it varied from person to person to person, but the purpose all fell under the same umbrella. I'm going to show you here in just a second. Now, I want to show you in, in, in the book of Mark, uh, I heard this passage used at, a, at a, uh, an ordination ceremony years and years and years ago, back in the late 70s. Yeah, I'm that old. Just, get, let, just put it out there. I was only six, but... In verse 13, Mark 3, 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Hear that call again. So all these people have been following Jesus, but he picked out a small group of them. And it says he called them. Now, he'd already called them to follow him, but now he was calling them to something else. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. And he gives the list here. Now, again, there's this sense that they're, they're being called out of where they are to something else. But they're, they're going to live the, in, the, in the context they're in, but they're going to have a new purpose. But God's calling them to himself and they're called with this new purpose in their life. And it, and it varies, as I said, from person to person. There's a, in the passage that we've been reading in Matthew 5, put it back up there again. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. See if you see it again here. It says, uh, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works 
and praise your Father who's in heaven. He's saying to them, all these people, these crowds of people who are just nobodies, ordinary people, he, as they come to him, he says to them, you have a new identity now because you're following me. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He says, your lives have significance beyond anything that you could ever have imagined. Because he's saying something about the world. Can you hear that in, in, his, in, in his words to them? He's saying the world is an incredibly morally and spiritually dark place. There's confusion and trouble. And you are meant to be like a lamp in a dark house that's put on a stand and sheds light. And then he, again, everyone, everyone who would have heard his words would have used salt in their home and had a light in their home. And they would have understood how important and vital each of those, those things were to their lives. And the salt, again, like we, we went over last week, they would take meat and fish and they would pack it in salt and it would retard the corruption and the decay. It was a crucial thing, plus it also brought flavor. It drew flavor out of things. It enhanced the food. Now I know, you know, people have ideas about salt. I'm a salt man here. My friends, uh, I have, I've had friends actually buy me for my birthday uh, cans of Morton salt as a joke. So thing is about salt. Salt does bring out the flavor. And we're supposed to bring out the best in the world. We're supposed to restrain the corruption that's in the world. So what he's saying is the world's a dark place and the world's a dying place. And all of us have this calling to fulfill a role that addresses both of those problems. That that's what the world is like that we live in. It can, I mean, that's, that's an inarguable statement. It's a fact. But a lot of times we just look at it and think, ah, oh, it's just so miserable that things have to be this way. We, because of our relationship with Christ, we're supposed to be part of the answer to that. And he says, that's what your calling is. And then, uh, uh, again, listen to the theme. I'll go back in the old, further back, in the, excuse me, in the New Testament, where uh, Peter is writing, and it sounds so much like what Jesus just said. He's talking to these Christians who were scattered all over the Roman Empire, and this letter was being circulated among them and read in the congregations. And he said this, uh, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Hear that calling again? You have a calling. You have a vocation. Each one of us. A lot of, of the followers of Jesus in the first century were slaves. Jesus was speaking through His apostles like this and saying, the leaders, and saying, it doesn't matter what people think about you. You have a value to them that they can't recognize. But if you live it out, you'll make a difference in their lives that will change their lives. So don't let the world title you. Don't let the world tell you who you are. Accept my, my estimation of who you are and embrace that. And he goes on, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, in other words, like immigrants in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Anybody know that one? Giving into things, sinful desires that 
as you enjoy them, they begin to war against your own soul. I've done that. I've had the civil war inside me for years. That's what happens when we give in to things that, that that we should avoid. And he says, live such good lives among the pagans or the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And there's this pattern over and over and over in Scripture. He's saying, come and be my people and then live in the world, humble but obedient lives that as you walk a life out of faithfulness to me, do it so that people can see who, what I'm like. And so there's, there's a simple story or, or message that keeps coming out over and over and over through these. And I could, I'm going to stop there because I have other ones listed. We are called... We, each of us, we're called to know and to make known the king and his kingdom. We're called. However unqualified we feel like we are, because of Jesus, he makes us qualified to be salt and to be light. Crucial things. And the condition of the world right now, the condition of our country, is largely troubled the way it is because the church is not being that. We can't, I mean, we have to get to the point where we have to stop blaming the meat for decaying. That's what it does. That's what we did before we knew Christ, before we had his life inside us and and rescuing us and giving us a new life. It wasn't because we're such great moral Pillars, paragons, it's not. That's what the message of grace says. Everybody's a mess. And we're called to know this king, because remember when the apostles were called up to that mountain, it says they were called to be with him. And then they were called to be a part of his people, and then they were called to participate in his mission. So the calling we have to know him and make him known, there's three facets to it. One is your call to him. You're called to a real relationship with him. And that's the, that's the foundation and the basis for everything else. This is why a lot of people don't know their purpose in life. Because they don't have a relationship with him. And whatever relationship they have, a lot of times is so shallow that, that the benefit they're supposed to derive from it is missed. See, you can be successful and not be significant. A lot of people are very successful, and in some ways, they're even doing what they were meant to do in the world. They're just doing it for themselves. They're just chasing a dollar. They're ch- whatever they're chasing. They're, they might be bringing value to communities and, and people, but they're not bringing all the value they're meant to. Because a lot of times when you just live for the dollar, or you live to succeed, or you live to climb the corporate ladder... You're going to step on people along the way. You're not going to value people the way that you're meant to because something else rules your life besides God's grace. There's, some, there's something in your heart that's not at the center. It's, it's not Jesus. There's something else there. And then your heart is not shaped by his love and his purpose and his values. And you're shaped by... Sometimes we, we don't realize in our culture how much we borrowed from Christian teaching. I mean, I could go back from when I grew up and listen to music and hear the Bible in the music, in secular music. I mean, music that wasn't spiritual, written by Christians or hymns or anything like that. 
You could hear the quotations because the church had planted the cross in the middle of the country and preached it and lived it, and it, it bled into the community. And then the community takes the truths and values that, that, that the gospel brings, and we use them to create a culture of justice and beauty and love. But when you take Jesus out of it, it fades. Because the life comes from him. It doesn't come from those rules, you see? And then those rules seem, you know, constraining. They're not. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we know him, the way he asks us to live suits our design, our purpose in life. But if we don't, it just, it's, it's kind of like it's optional. It's, it, I don't know. You, guys, you Christians are really narrow. And you're really uptight. And premarital sex, I mean, everybody's doing it. That's what, that's what we're all meant. I mean, we're sexual beings. I have needs. Uh, cheating on your taxes. I mean, all the things that people around us do. The way p- employees are treated. It's crazy the way employees are treated. It's terrible. And I have family that work in big corporations. I have friends that work in big corporations. And it's just business and ethics. <laughs> Sometimes, and I don't want to say every time, but business and ethics are, you know, are, are, are strange bedfellows at the best. And people are very pragmatic and utilitarian. And people aren't meant to be tools. And so the, the church just keeps trying to bring this influence into the culture. But it's not welcome influence. But if we live it out consistently, it will start bringing light into the darkness. People will start seeing. We're cutting our own throats when we work people so long because it wrecks their families and then they're not happy and they're not productive. This is all a bad deal, the way we're running this. But if the church doesn't live as salt and light, people don't get that unless they're running on the momentum of the previous generation or the previous generation and what it's contributed but it's going to fade away if we don't step into, like salt, if we're not rubbed onto the meat, these values don't work into the community. They don't work certainly upwards. And I, I've sat in the last year or so with a number of city officials who, in advocating for things for immigrants in the community, it's amazing the reactions I get, the negative reactions I get from them. Uh, no matter what they say publicly, they're not always that way privately. And, and, and individually, they're, these are sincere, good-hearted people, but they are part of a system that, that starts twisting them when they become part of it. And we have to be people as the church who say, well, we're going to speak to that. We're light. But if, if you're not anchored in Jesus, you're not going to do that. And then the second thing is, if you're not, you're not only called by, to Jesus, you're called to his people. You're called to belong to his people. Because part of our vocation gets, begins to get identified when we meet Jesus. Then it begins to get shaped when we're in relationship with other people. Because you don't know who you are on your own. We all learn who we are in dialogue and in a relationship with other people. We find out what our strengths and weaknesses are. We have blind spots. We, we're nearsighted. We're, we're confused. We have all kinds of deficiencies 
in terms of analyzing who we are. But we naturally, in a community, begin to identify who we are. Our kids grow up. They're meant to grow up in homes where the people value them and relate to them and care for them and protect them and draw and recognize in them, each of them, their unique identities. Because one child may uh, have an inclination towards being, being analytical. Another child may be more intuitive, artistic. And parents recognize those gifts and then invest in them and draw the best out of them. But that's that relationship. How many kids come up into the world wondering who they are? Because their parents never saw each one of them as a gift from God and saw the good in them. Because, you know, it's terrible sometimes how we can overlook people, how children can be overlooked. It's terrible. But you put a child in a place where people think the, the right way, and that child blooms. Every child blooms in the right atmosphere because they're made, they carry the image of God. And then the mission we're called. We're called to Jesus. We're called to Jesus' people. And we're called to Jesus' mission. And these things are three facets of our calling. And they feed into each other and they interconnect. It's not one or the other. And what happens is a lot of people, they don't have a sense of a vision in their life or mission or vocation because they're not connected to Jesus. And then they get connected to him and, and it starts getting awakened But they don't connect to his people. They don't have any sense of community. They they live in sort of isolated, separated, hidden lives. And so a whole part of them doesn't get encouraged and drawn out. Because remember what salt does. Salt draws the best out of people. It draws the best out of the community. As, As beautiful and gifted as a lot of people are in our country who don't even know Jesus, you bring people who love them and value them and were willing to sacrifice for them and bear with them, and they'll start blooming like they've, you've never seen before. But that, that mission of being salt and light has to be at the, the root of our lives. It's not an optional part. So a lot of people come to Christ, but they never really become part of his people. And then they maybe become part of his people, but they never embrace his mission in the world. And the vocation includes all three of those points. So you have a calling. It's a simple calling. It's a similar calling to the the people that we've looked at here. Your calling is to know and make known the king and his kingdom. It's to know, to know him first. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing. Then to make it known. To make the kingdom known to a dark and dying and lost world. And you may think, gosh, those are like, John, that's so over the top. The world's not lost and dying and dark. I don't know what world you live in. That is the world I encounter every day in my job. As, as people start talking, people, you know, people, strangers talk to me because I'm, I'm, you know, I've lived around here for a long time. And people see me all the time. And I've had people just start talking to me and say to me, I don't know why I'm telling you all this stuff. And I go, I, know, I don't say I know why, but I know why. I'm salt and light. I've lived here and I'm not perfect. Nobody will ever accuse me of that. But they see something, they see Jesus in me, and they don't even oftentimes know what it is. They don't know, they don't get it. But there's something in me of the king in this kingdom and the way I live. And I have other people in our church tell me the same thing. People just start sharing things with them. 
And, you know, talking to someone who looks very well put together, they're very professional and thoughtful, and then they, as, as they used an image from the garden, they step out from behind the bush and start talking about their life. You see, this is a broken person, like, like I have been, like all of us have been. But they know how to put themselves together and communicate, poise, and they're intelligent, and they're cultured, and on and on and on. But inside, they're just like all of us. And, and there's a hunger there. There's a hunger that people have for that kind of a real person, a real person, like we can be, like we're meant to be. And so these stories, I think they, 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 here's where they end up. If we're called to be, to, to know and to make known the king and his kingdom, to a lost and dying and, and troubled world. There's, there's two things. First, you have to recognize you're being called. And so there's some of you here that, that, that this is like, you're going, I get it. I get it now. I've heard that voice. I've heard it. That's what, is that what it's about? I, God is calling me to himself through Jesus? Yes, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. There's this knock on your heart, to use a metaphor. There's something drawing you. And sometimes, the, here's how the, the attraction, the shape it comes in. You just are so empty. It, the things that satisfied you don't satisfy you anymore. They just don't. They don't. Or you have one of those reality check moments where you achieve something that you thought was going to fill a hole in your heart. And you stand basking in that moment and, wow, there's nothing there. Or a person in whom you placed so much hope in in a relationship, they just are not what they were they portrayed themselves and you're left again with this hole and this pain you'll that's in that moment god he's calling you he calls us in in so many ways and so i just want to ask you for a second have you do you recognize that he's actually calling you just like Mary, she, she looked at herself and what? I'm favored? Me? I'm like a teenager, a nobody. Why have I found favor? Because God is gracious, because he sees who we are when no one else can see who we are. And he values us, and he knows that he can rescue us from this life where we've turned our lives in on ourselves. That's what sin is. It just means I've turned my life in on myself and I'm out for myself. Because realistically in the world, everybody's out for themselves. If you're not out for themselves, as they said in Star Wars, you're bantha fodder. So, okay, thank you. I know there's a couple of Star Wars people here. You are just going to get consumed. 
You're going to be taken advantage of. And so you're stupid if you don't look out for yourself as number one. But God says, no, the fool turns their life in on themselves and lives for themselves. You can't live that way. That hardens you, that distorts you. Like Peter says, that wages war against your own soul. And, you know, we've all got the battlefield scars from that. Every one of us in this room, every one of us, even the most saintly person here has that battlefield scar. And, and so if you recognize it, then the, the only thing you need to do now is respond. Respond. How did they respond? There was almost a uniform kind of response when they heard the voice. What did Peter do when he's in the boat with Jesus? And they've worked hard, hard all night. They don't get anything. Then Jesus says, throw your nets over here. And, and, and actually in terms of the science of of fishing, that was a bad place to cast their nets. It literally was. That's why there was, you know, some cynicism probably in Peter's tone. But they pull this fish in, and, and, you know, when you you catch that many fish, it changes your week, changes your month, maybe it changes your year. When God shows you grace, when he gives you favor, and again, here's this sense of God picking people out and saying, you are important. I want to give you favor. And you look at yourself and go, Peter looks at himself and says, I don't deserve this. Jesus, get away from me. And he he wasn't saying that like Jesus had a problem. He said, I don't deserve this. I'm a sinful man. Suddenly, all of his flaws, all of his living turned in on himself was exposed by God in the flesh, in the boat. And he just felt ashamed. But Jesus, that's, this is what you always get with Jesus. When, when we see ourselves as we really are, which is not something we often like to look at. Peter, Peter didn't hear this from Jesus. You're right. What am I doing with, a, with scum like you? I don't know what I was thinking getting in this boat with a person like you. He didn't say that. He said, Peter, follow me. I'm going to make you. I have a purpose for your life. I have more for you. I'm not going to reject you. I want to make something out of your life you never thought was possible. So come on and follow me. And then you have to respond. Then Peter, he gets out of the boat on the shore. Jesus turns left. And Peter decides, do I go back to my fishing or do I follow Jesus? Mary hears the angel say, God has a plan for your life. Do you want to keep going this way? Or do you want to say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening? Do you want to respond? Which way are you going to respond? Because you're going to respond one way or the other. And I think some of you here today, God's speaking to you. And he's saying, I'm calling you to myself, to know me. Others of you, he's saying, you know me. I'm calling you to be a part of my people. Others of you who are part of the people, he's saying, I want you to be in my mission. And some of you have been a part of the mission, and you bailed on it for different reasons. In your mind, they're all justifiable. And Jesus is saying, it's time to get back in the game. It's time to respond again. Because the calling comes with those three elements to it. And wherever you are, Jesus, this is always what Jesus does. 
you just take one step forward. He's not asking you to broad jump 30 steps. He's asking you to take one step forward. If you don't know Jesus, he's calling you to know him. Say yes. If you know him, but you're really not, you don't really belong to his people in any meaningful way, then he's saying, commit to fellowship. Become a part of the community. And if you're part of the community, he's saying, okay, are you in my mission? Because he called them over and over and over each of those things. And so all you do is you take the step that's in front of you, or you don't. Now, some of you, God will give you time to make that decision. But it's important when you hear something that speaks to you that you respond right then. And many of us know enough to respond to the Lord speaking to us. And what gets exposed is what's really in our heart and our reluctance. And we're always tempted to go back to turning in on ourselves. And Jesus died. He accepted the consequences of a life turned in on himself for everyone when he died on the cross. And he says, when you live that kind of life, you go down a road you will never turn from unless you turn to me. You will never be able to get off that road once you've taken it. And it's a road that ruins your life and it ruins the lives of everybody you know. And Jesus says, I went down that road and took that for you. He lived the perfect life and took the, all the consequences and the power of that life that we chose, that we've all chosen. And it fell on him and it killed him. We killed him. Our sin killed him. The judgment of God on our sin killed Jesus. And then he was buried, and then he rose from the grave because he wasn't dying for his own sin. He was dying in our place. And once sin is judged, it doesn't have to get judged again. And whoever puts their faith in him, we go through the same journey he went through. We die, we're buried, and we're raised. And when we're raised, we are given a new identity that's salt and light and a people who are city on a hill. We're God's people. Not because we deserve it, but as a gift. And then we actually have this new identity and new nature where we can be salt that restrains corruption and evil and depravity. I don't mean by becoming super moralistic and passing tighter and tighter laws. Through love and humility and truth, the power of people's lives is what's changed the world. Not just by legislating, and legislation has its place, but it's, it's the love that people experience through individuals like us that changes labor laws and immigration laws and everything that we see that's so turned upside down. And so, where are you today? At which step of those Three elements of a call. Are you standing? And I just want you to take a second. I just want everybody to close their eyes just for like one minute. We're just going to be quiet. And I want to let you hear the Lord speaking to you about where you're at. The book of Hebrews, three or four times, God, uh, the, the writer of the book repeat the same scripture. He would, he would give instruction 
And then he would say to them, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Meaning that when we are at that moment of decision, if we harden our heart, if we, if we choose to go left instead of follow Jesus and go right, a, a kind of hardening happens inside us. A kind of hardening to something that's good, that we don't want to develop in our, in our lives. And Jesus said, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Some of you have to get, you need to be disabused of notions of faith that, that are unworthy of faith. They shouldn't even be associated with it. There is a challenging life to follow Christ. It is a challenging life to be a part of his people. It is a challenging life to be part of his mission. But it's the life we're made for. The other life is the life that's a life where your soul is at war with itself and with God and with everybody else, with your nature. And Jesus is the only one that can rescue us from that, as I said before. So if, you're, if you feel like God spoke to you, uh, and, and there might not be but a handful of people that God spoke to, but if he spoke to you uh, that you're at one of those places where you're being invited to know him, and if you already know him, you're being invited to connect with his community. And if you're already connected with his community, but you're really not in his mission in the world, at one of those points, he's asking you to step towards him and say, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. Did you hear that, that common refrain? Yes, yes, Lord, yes. I don't know everything it means, but I'm, I'm willing to say yes to that. Because at any given time, there's people who are in one of the, those three places. So, this is how I like to do it here. This is how I roll. If you're in one of those three places, where you are, just stand up, and I want to pray for you. Doesn't matter how few or many. And don't, everybody didn't have to stand up. It's not one of those things. Thank you, Eric. You don't have to stand. Get it. Now, I want you to close your eyes again. Because I think the Lord wants to show you a picture of what it is that he's aiming at. All you need to say is, yes, Lord. He's going to give you the grace to take that step, that next step. It's a step, maybe a step towards Jesus. Maybe a step towards his people, maybe a step towards the mission. But the grace to do that comes from him. It's not within you to do it. So, Lord, as, as we stand here, and all of us in some sense have been in this place, Jesus, thank you that you don't wag your finger at us and shame us and scold us. That your calling comes with this invitation, with this excitement. Lord, thank you that the, the, the tone I read in, in your word, of your words to each of the people was so encouraging, so excited for us and for them. And Lord, I ask that uh, each person that's responding to you here today, that's saying yes to the step you're asking them to take, that right now, Jesus as you came and stood beside Samuel, the little boy, would you stand beside each of them and would you put your hand upon them now? Would you embrace them? Would you put your spirit on them and let the grace that, that you're brimming with, the grace that comes from your very heart, 
Just let it begin to pour out on them. And those that don't know you, Jesus, let them know right now you're forgiving them of their sins. That they're coming into relationship with God through you. That they're being born again of your spirit. And those, Lord, that already know you, that are opening their heart up to your body, let them know that your spirit is knitting them now with, into fellowship and relationship and community with others. And let them begin to discover their purpose and their place and their value. And Lord, those that are in the body but aren't in the mission yet, I pray today that you would help them to begin to identify what you formed them for. You begin to put your passion in their heart for something of your mission in the world. Give them, begin to give them grace to understand their vocation, their career, their purpose. Lord, if, let them be able to make lateral moves in their, in their jobs or changes or whatever. Give them, begin to give them clarity about that. And Father, those of us that are standing here today that have physical pains or all of us that, that have infirmities and sicknesses, We thank you for the power of the name of Jesus. We ask that that power just come right now, just begin to touch bodies. Lord, touch people where there's been uh, injuries. Touch people where there's been disease and sickness, Lord. Lord, touch high blood pressure here and, and hearing and arthritis and infections. And Lord, we, uh, we just bring to you also all the, the, the friends and family that we pray for regularly who are facing different challenges. And we bring them before you and pray your grace and your hand would be upon them right now. Lord, thank you for this atmosphere of your grace that, that is available for us. And may each person that's standing, each person that's sitting here today just continue to Enjoy that and learn to live in it as as you mean us to. Thank you for being good. You're good 24-7. Help us to become more like you, Lord. We ask this, Jesus, in your great name. Amen. So you guys need...